Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of The Charting Room, a podcast where today's hot topics meets mental health conversations. This is Kivon here with a reminder that the views expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests. This podcast is meant to be informative and entertaining and is not a substitute for one-on-one medical or mental health care of any nature, nor the suggestion of any diagnosis or treatment. Remember that only a licensed provider can evaluate your situation, provide a diagnosis, or render other medical and mental health advice to you. Now, let's dig in. Welcome to the charting room. What's good? It's your girl, Kivon, and I am a licensed clinical social worker. Hi, this is Dr. Anthony Andrews. I'm a licensed professional counselor. This is Dr. Sheree Watkins, a licensed professional counselor. Dr. Phil Murray, board certified adult and child psychiatrist. And we are your charting room co-hosts. Yeah. I haven't busted a rhyme in a while. No. This is Sheree's fault. Sheree hyped her. Right, we cannot hello, do any hello. bars this morning. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello. Are y'all out there? Okay. <laughs> just checking in, Brad. They just cut it off. We no, don't cut it off, guys. We're back. Okay, I'll chill. I'll chill. We are back for another episode. And tonight we are joined by another co-host. Yes. Which I am super duper excited about because the topic that we are about to delve into is one that I have been hearing on social media, on the radio, breakfast club, etc. We are going to talk about spirituality as it relates to millennials. So introduce our guest co-host, right? Hello, y'all. So this is Dr. Watkins. I have the pleasure of introducing our guest. So formerly, he is Reverend Teddy Rees. He is the curator, museum specialist of religion at the Center of for the Study of African American Religious Life at the Smithsonian Institution of the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Girl, get it right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He previously served as the executive pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Jamaica, New York. Sounds mad holy, son. (laughs) Mad holy. In addition, he served as the founding program administrator for the Center for Black Church Studies at Princeton Seminary, Mm -hmm. as a teaching assistant for the Pace Center for Civic Engagement at Princeton University, as a high school English teacher at two prestigious independent schools, and as a youth and young adult pastor at Union Baptist Church in Trenton, New Jersey. Mm. Come on, resume. So he is, of course, <laughs> an alumni of Hampton University. Also, um, his Master of Divinity came from Princeton Semin- um, Seminary, and he's currently pursuing his PhD in Education Administration for from Fordham University. Nice. And most importantly, he is my cousin. He's my Aww. baby cousin who I babysit all the time for free 99 who got on my nerves. <laughs> free 99. <laughs> Not free 99. Free 99. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, <laughs> Not paying us nothing. I, I just want to chime in real quick. Like, y'all can't see my dog right now, but he's too clean. What I say? Like, with the casual what? fresh stuff. What? Casual. Bruh, the gla- eyeglasses. I feel like we need to take a picture of you, Teddy, so we can post it on our Instagram. <laughs> yeah, so he has, uh, so the people can see. You know how people have shoes and purses. He has glasses. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He said it's his ridiculous. his his spend wow. budget goes on eyeglasses. I got to experience that in New York. So my first trip to New York, mm-hmm. where did we have to speak at? Yeah, 
we were speaking we, we spoke at Yale. The trip okay. I told you all okay. about. Mm-hmm. So he's like, we're going to go into the city. So he took me to this eyeglass place. He said, cuz, let's, let's get something together. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I got you, cuz. <laughs> nah, cuz. <laughs> nah, cuz. So y'all go to the uh, the dude in the mall in the middle of the mall and get your eyeglasses? No, he don't go to That's the where shop. That's where I go. No. Okay. okay. So, so y- y'all ain't seen my dog. He, he almost got up and left at that suggestion. <laughs> right, right now. It's like, middle of the mall? I don't buy I call them Ray Rays. Not Ray Bands. I call them Ray Rays. You can flip those too, though. Really? Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like Teddy about to learn us something tonight on many fronts. But let's jump into the spirituality conversation. Before, you know what? Before we do that, Teddy, share something with us about yourself. Yes. Um, what is, hmm, I don't know. I'm married. Shout hey, out to my wife. You hey, got a You got a rib. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, she's a good. Is thing. that vegan? Good. She's an amazing. Thing. <laughs> Is it a vegan rib? You know, <laughs> she calls herself uh, flexitarian. Okay. Um, okay. And so she that. flexes in and out. We can get with uh, that. But yeah, she still eats chicken. Yeah. <laughs> ain't no praying. vegan rib. Look, we praying over that. We praying. It's <laughs> a grandmama rib. Yeah, but uh, that's something about me. I, I don't know. I just I like to be in good conversation. What well, got you into this? Ah, what got me into this work? Um, I wanted to be a news anchor. Uh, wow. And so from third grade until I left Hampton, I wanted to be a news anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to get a master's degree in journalism. And, uh, I was planning to go to Northwestern. Um, and I was sitting in my classroom here in Charlotte. Uh, I was teaching at Providence Day School. And I heard a voice clear as day say, go to seminary. Uh, and I was like, I ain't going to seminary. What do I don't want to be preaching? I don't want nothing yeah. to do with that. Um, and I was teaching The Great Gatsby in my sophomore English class. Mm. I can remember it vividly. And I heard another voice, that same voice, say, "Go to seminary." Um, and so I began to talk. I'm thinking I'm talking internally, but I'm actually talking out loud. And my students are like, "What is seminary?" <laughs> I was like, "We're gonna have a free day. Um, so we're not. We're gonna cancel everything. Talk to your neighbor. You know, have fun." Uh, and so I started looking up seminaries and kind of not look back and nice. been on a journey since then. But yeah, I, I wanted to be a news. I wanted to be Brian Gumble without Ooh. the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that was my, my childhood idol. Wow. Uh, so uh. there has been this raging conversation on social media about spirituality and how millennials are reshaping what that means. Mm. Have you heard this conversation? Yes, I'm in the conversation. So uh, some work was birthed out of that conversation. Okay. Um, and so at my work at the museum, um, back, you know, been there going on three years in January. And it was something that's plaguing my mind. I'm a millennial. I've worked in a church. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear it from young adults, survey young adults, um, and just keeping my ear to the pulse of what's going on. And the kept being the issue of what's going on with black millennials more specifically. Mm -hmm. I know millennials are disengaging with faith, um, but what are black millennials going through? And Mm -hmm. so that was really a question for me. And that was plaguing me as a black millennial working in a church, trying to get other millennials to come to church and be engaged in church. I was like, what the world is going on with them? Um, And there were some constrictors sometimes when you're working in a church. And so I couldn't get a lot of those those questions answered. And so it wasn't until I went to the museum and um, was able to do some programming. And I created a program called God Talk. Uh, It's a black millennials and faith conversation Mm -hmm. series. 
um, where I was trying to answer the question from the Pew Research Center. If, you know, Pew came out with all this data in 2014 about millennials and their disengagement. And my question was, okay, so we have this quantitative data. Where's mm-hmm. the qualitative piece? Like, exactly. What are millennials actually saying? Mm-hmm. Right. And who are the people you calling? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the program was birthed out of that in a partnership with Pew and, and between Pew and the museum and really trying to answer the question, if black millennials are disengaging from faith, and spirituality, where are they going? Mm-hmm. Um, like, where are these new spaces that they're creating community and 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 practicing faith mm-hmm. and whatever f- facet that may look like? And so that has taken us on this journey for the past year and a half. And so, yeah, it's 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 a par- it's a passion. I'm mm-hmm. like ride or die for mm-hmm. millennials. So wait, hold on. So I've sat through a lot of introductions of guest pastors. I know a couple of homeboys who went to seminary. I see a number of paths, but how do you end up at a museum? Like a museum that it's hard enough to get tickets to just go to the museum. (laughs) So how are you working with the museum? How did you even get there? Man, it was, like I said, it was not something I was looking for. I was serving happily in New York City. Um, My wife was in D.C. working on her MFA, and the plan was she was going to finish that year and come back. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was working at Princeton part-time, teaching and working in the Black Church Studies Department. And my my boss, uh, Dr. Yolanda Pierce, got asked to come and open the Center for Religion at the museum. Wow. Mm. Um, and so she um, was like, hey, you want to come with me? And I was like, I'm good right where I am. I don't necessarily need to you know, work at a museum. Um, and, you know, praying about it, thinking through it, um, you know. But it's like, oh, I got to talk to my wife. She had already talked to my wife about it. Wow. Uh, and we weren't even married then. Yeah. We were just a couple. We were engaged, I think. Yeah. Engaged. Mm-hmm. And so that that's how I got it, you know. It's it's good to keep your name clean. Yeah, that's uh, right. It's good to, to, to you know the truth. let your work show for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. that has really opened every door of every job yeah. I've had has been through someone else knowing. Wow. Well let me ask, because you mentioned um, the Pew study. What's some of the highlighted um, statistics that actually came um, that actually came from the study? So Pew released this big religious landscape survey, which really changed the game and data as it related to faith and religion Mm -hmm. back in 2014. And what they found was that millennials in general are disengaging with faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unlike previous generations, baby boomers, even Gen X, millennials are kind of saying, you know, we see the rise of this. I'm spiritual, not religious. Um, We see the decline of many churches in our communities. Um, And so Pew really wanted to figure out what was going on. And so the data really showed that white millennials are disengaging with faith at a rapid rate. Hmm. Um, You know, it is not just faith, but their belief in God, Hmm. um, their their, their prayer lives, their um, belief in a higher power, all of that is declining at the same time and it's mm. declining rapidly. Wow. Um, what the study showed as they begin to really dig into the nuances is that black millennials, while we may not attend service weekly, we still have a higher rate of believing in God. Hmm. We still have this understanding of there being a, a higher power that's governing us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as communal folks we know what that yeah. what that can look like and why those some of those data points are still there but they was they were also showing that while that is still true black millennials unlike 
older generations of, of African Americans are decreasing in our weekly attendance. We're decreasing in our daily prayer activities or meditations. Um, but we still identify with a higher being. We still identify if we are in religious spaces. We're typically still in uh, predominantly historically African American denominations if we're Christian. Um, the numbers as it relates to black Muslims um, are steady and rising, but it's a small percentage. Um, it's still around three or four percent, but a larger percentage. Uh, Islam is growing um, and Christianity is growing, but not here in the global south in Africa. Can I hop in and ask a quick question? With the uh, statistics on Islam, was there any differentiation between Islam and the nation of Islam? So I don't, I don't know if they dug into that. Um, I haven't seen like the them to to parse it and nuance it in that okay. way, um, but they they did nuance it in and as it related to race. Um, so with black mm-hmm. Muslims and the rise, um, and we see that in a lot of spaces, obviously in uh, communal spaces, but also in correctional spaces, mm-hmm. um, and so it's there. And so the the research um, really began to tease out like so black millennials are leaving. Um, some and what we did see was also a rise in atheism uh, amongst mm. black people uh, or this atheism and also those who identify as nuns. Um, so I'm not oh. atheist. I'm not Christian. I'm not Muslim. I'm not Jewish. I don't know what I am. I ain't really spiritual, not religious. I don't, I'm just nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in that, there's still this belief of something higher, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so we're seeing that number jump for the first time, mm-hmm. this nuns generation. We're also seeing a slight rise in uh, African-Americans identifying as atheists or mm-hmm. non-believers mm-hmm. or skeptics. Um, and so that number is rising, but at a smaller rate. Um, what we're seeing is that most of them, per the data and even per our God Talk conversations, are really um, I in this none spiritual not religious i'm holding on or i'm mixing in mm-hmm. wow i'm like just amazed listening to the stats of everything i'm trying to figure out like a question but it's like uh <laughs> it's like wow I, just, I didn't know any of this i didn't i guess because like, i didn't research it but mm-hmm. um but i'm trying to think about why black millennials would be declining and going to church and losing um well, not faith. You said they still have faith, but just a conventional way of doing things like back in the day. I think it has something to do with the system, just how the system is set up and what the system looks like. And how do you identify the system? When you see the traditional aspect of things, you start thinking that about your oppressor or this is how the government has been doing the whole time. Well, how does the government identify? Do they identify as Christian? What is their way of thinking? Then you don't have faith in that government anymore. Mm-hmm. So now you're not going to have faith in what you would call what some people will call. Uh, a white man's religion as they did back in of course the 60s and when that whole nation of islam thing was going on um we're not going on but still going on but uh excuse me um but you know transitioning and a lot of people switched over um and i think that's you know partly to do with it just because of the the loss of faith in the government but i don't know so and and you want me to respond please please okay uh um i i think what we found in the God Talk conversation and what's been very beautiful about it is that um, we create these diverse panels. So it's 14 black millennials on two panels in one night. And it's mm-hmm. traveling. It's in major cities, production, fully produced, um, like a talk show. And so they're of all different faith backgrounds mm-hmm. or non-faith backgrounds. Because they're mm-hmm. atheists, someone that identifies as a black witch, nun, mm-hmm. uh, j- black Hebrew Israelite. You know, we yeah. have this, this plethora of religious mm-hmm. diversity and pluralism, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're finding is that while that is some of the, mm-hmm. the issues... 
it's a multiplicity of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's secularism, mm-hmm. right? So we're living in a more secular society and, mm-hmm. and access to information that, you know, this person standing typically in a mm-hmm. uh, male-formed body, mm-hmm. um, standing before you telling you information is not how we get information mm-hmm. anymore. And so right. that is shifting. Um, mm. As I said, secularism, it's um, the rise of um, technology. Mm-hmm. Um, technology is impacting how um, millennials are choosing to engage. Uh, mm. Commitment. Millennials struggle with commitment mm-hmm. in many ways. And so when you, for a church who still identifies membership as someone walking down an aisle and signing a form, mm-hmm. uh, millennials may identify, I'm a member of your church. I just went once or I watch it online. Facts. Like I'm a member. Um, and mm. so it's a lot of different elements, right? Yeah. There is gendered issues. There is yeah. uh, LGBTQII issues. There mm-hmm. are uh, patriarchal issues. There mm-hmm. are so many different issues mm. that are driving millennials out of these traditional black religious spaces. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of have to kind of interrogate all of them to kind of figure out, okay, so is this a one person story? Is this a general story? Is this a shared experience? Um, and then also being true that there are some millennials still residing in those spaces. And so how do you leave space for them? For those who say, I don't want to leave. I see these problems, um, but I'm trying to work from in, from yeah. the inside out. Mm. Um, yeah. I know that I have seen that there is an increase in African-Americans returning to like African spirituality practices. Um, and so I'm wondering if that is also like pulling people away from the conventional method of fellowshipping in the church right like we're utilizing um stones and herbs crystals and crystals and laying out in the grass and allowing the vitamin d to replenish us right all things that previous generations would have looked down upon and considered forms of witchcraft right so Mm. i'm wondering how we begin to merge those spaces because there's also research that shows that those practices are also beneficial but in the traditional setting of the church they would be frowned upon i think we have to interrogate that too right uh our grandmothers and great-grandmothers always knew about root work. Yeah. Right? And so we would be naive to think that these black women who were churched mm-hmm. still weren't dibbling, dabbling in root work mm-hmm. when they went home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? They were. Yeah. Um, whether they brought it to church with them or whether they acknowledged it or put different names on it, mm-hmm. um, it is not something new. Like, millennials aren't discovering something new. Right, um, right. Right? So we are reclaiming something in many ways. And it's black women that's really leading this, this movement, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of um, really reclaiming other things to meet their spiritual needs that are mm-hmm. not being met in these traditional spaces. But uh, grandmothers and great-grandmothers have been doing root work. They've been seeing people in upstairs rooms at places. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been keeping little, little, little spells in their Bibles. So this is stuff that we've seen historically for black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and many of them have been situated in Judeo-Christian spaces or black church spaces or black Muslim spaces, but always knowing that there was uh, some work in the root. They knew mm-hmm. that you could, uh, if you're in the country, you could put these things together and mash them up and, and yeah. it could heal them faster, mm-hmm. right? Um, then giving them some Tylenol. That was root work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always been there, but it is this um, black women and what we're finding in these God Talk conversations is black women are leading, is go- black women are going to get us free, one. Uh, and two, 
they are I'm doing leading a little dance because I know this to be true, <laughs> baby. But y'all are leading us in a way um, that is radical, mm-hmm. um, and it is a way that. Um, for so long, patriarchal systems and religious spaces have kept their foot on black women's necks. Mm-hmm. Um, and black women are starting to say, you know, brother, you either have to move that foot or I'm going to cut that foot off. Um, and so what is what we're seeing is, is that black women are saying, I'm going to do crystals. I'm going to get my tarot read. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. Um, I'm going to go to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to meditate. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take something from the Buddhist practice. Uh, <laughs> I might pray five times a day in different ways. I'm taking something from the, from the Muslim practice. <laughs> so black women are creating creating these systems by which they are able to thrive and live mm-hmm. in a way and naming it out loud. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's different mm-hmm. between the generations, yes. right? Naming it out loud, saying, yes. yeah, I go get my tarot cards right and ain't nothing wrong with that, right? That's still spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And so for the traditional black church uh, and traditional Christian church, um, that can be frowned upon. It can yeah. be demonic. It yeah. could be witchcraft. It yeah. could be all this language um, that, you know, we still if you really interrogate the work we do in these religious spaces of ecstasy, of dancing and speaking in tongues and all these other things, yeah. it's mm-hmm. similar mm-hmm. in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but yeah, black women, man, black women are leading this way in the crystal movement. You have Debbie Brown who wrote crystal bliss. You have, um, uh, sisters doing tarot out in Chicago, mm. uh, Tamil Jones, uh, like all of these women that are leading other black women to get free. Jay yeah. Perry in Chicago, like all of these women are doing this work. Yeah. Um, and many of them would still consider themselves Christian. Yeah, for right? sure. And so that's sure. the way that we're seeing millennials are piecing mm-hmm. faith and creating these systems mm-hmm. that work for them and work yeah. for us. Yeah, and I know another thing is that black women... S- and I'm not speaking for the collective, but I think in general just tend to be seem to be more passionate about receiving their healing, whether that's like emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, black women, I think, are leading that movement as well. And there is so much trauma rooted in the church, whether it's like sexual trauma, it's abuse of power. And so I think that is also driving people to separate from their association with the building itself and saying like, I can achieve the same level of spirituality just on my own. Right. Um, so I don't know, that's not a question, but more of a statement, but can you speak to that? Yeah. I think we have to look at, pardon, look at the, the ways the black church has been a amazing space for black people. Yeah. And right. So, and when I say black church, I'm thinking black Christian church, but Islam. I'm thinking the black mm-hmm. religious experience yeah. has been a life affirming um, space historically for black people. It was our social services when social workers wouldn't serve us. Excellent. It was our food pantries when the food pantry wouldn't serve us. Exactly. It, it exactly. educated our students in Sunday school when black kids couldn't go to public school because it was segregated. Mm-hmm. Sunday school taught not just the Bible, they taught reading and writing and arithmetic. Yeah. Right. So yeah. the black church can, has been a place of refuge for black mm-hmm. people. Um, so I, I always want to acknowledge the beauty yeah. and the good the church has done, mm-hmm. but it has also been a point of trauma. Yeah. Um, it has been a point mm-hmm. and a place where trauma has been allowed to fester in many ways mm-hmm. and, and not be rebuked. Um, yeah. And so mm-hmm. 
black women, I believe, are leading us because the church has been led by black men, but it has been funded and supported by black mm-hmm. women, right? I'm mm-hmm. clear that if black women stopped tithing for two months, the church would die. Or right? attending. Um, or attending. Or attending, right? Crumble. Like literally. Mm-hmm. Um, it would crumble. Mm-hmm. So realizing that with that, black women are saying, you know, this space, and not just black women, you have black men that have been hurt in these black religious Mm -hmm. spaces. Uh, You have queer bodies that have been hurt and traumatized Mm -hmm. in these spaces. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we're preaching theology and preaching things that is uh, antithetical to the text, um, right? And so I think we have to sit with our theologies Mm -hmm. that can be oppressive, our theologies that are rooted in Mm anti-blackness and are rooted in white supremacy, Mm -hmm. um, right? So I push against the notion, black people, when we got here on these shores, we had a concept of God, we had a concept of spirit, we had a concept of Trinity. So white people didn't give us anything, Mm -hmm. right? We we understood the text. Uh, A third of the black people that were brought here that were enslaved were Muslim, right? So you had, they had already had a faith. You have some who were, uh, Ethiopian Coptic Christians, right? Mm -hmm. So they had this concept of faith and spirit. And so we came here with that, but we always knew, right? And I'm thinking of Harriet Tubman. I'm thinking of Nat Turner who, and Nat Turner specifically, right? So we have the Bible, Nat Turner's Bible at the museum Mm -hmm. that he had, uh, with him during the insurrection, right? So what's powerful for me was he was a preacher, he could read, mm-hmm. um, and he knew what they were telling him wasn't right, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, as Christians, you're taught to know the word for yourself, yeah. right? So Nat says, I heard from God. I had a vision from God. Like, it, God spoke to me. And so mm-hmm. we have always pushed against what we've been taught but um, and, and not really taking it as face value. We knew that we were not not human mm-hmm. right yeah. we knew that we were not not divine mm-hmm. um we just had to go in hush harbors in the woods and shout around wood uh, blocks of wood mm-hmm. um after we left a service right mm-hmm. so we were still away at night and go speak to the god and the ancestors that would keep us through that um or we as albert rabato mm-hmm. amazing historian at princeton said we begin to worship old gods under new names mm-hmm. right so we we've always had this sense of spirit and this understanding that there is something greater than than what we currently are living through and so i think yeah we're we're black women pushing and black women are pushing the doors they're pushing the windows um and are going to push us to have um and i think black millennials led by black women are going to push us to have this theological reformation that we have not seen Mm -hmm. in our lifetime like you said speaking about it puts it into groups um, because I think a lot of things are isolated now because I think millennials promote this sense of personal healing. And when you're doing that journey, when you're going on a journey of personal healing, then you're not really concerned about doing this at a church or at, with a group mm-hmm. of people. I'm on my own personal journey to heal how I heal. But now, like you said, individuals speaking out about it individually can put a group together and we can come up with some kind of name for it. Even if you want to do away with the names, because I think the, the names and the labels, um, you know, Sometimes push people away. Yeah, restricting, push people away, then you don't know what to do at that point. So in this journey of personal healing, people, I'm hearing a lot of people saying, you know, I'm doing this because it helps me. I'm not worried about anybody else, what it what it uh, looks like in front of the church. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this for my own personal healing. Mm-hmm. So, Brother, that's powerful. true. You got to get free. Yeah. And whatever freedom looks like for you, yeah. um, you got to get free. And I think what 
to, to that notion, mm-hmm. right, that we are doing away with labels. Mm-hmm. But what we're finding in these conversations are that we're not doing away with community. Mm. Yeah. Right? So black millennials are going to brunch. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, Tyree uh, Boyd Pat's uh, historian, history curator at the California African American Museum, he said on our first conversation um, for God Talk, he said, my my newest church is my therapist. Mm. Um, that That's the space that's healing me. Yeah. That's the space that's affirming me. That's mm-hmm. the space that's speaking life into me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so millennials are creating new spaces, mm-hmm. right? We are going to brunch. We are going yeah. to Essence. We are going to... Um, Homecomings. Seminars, homecoming. Yeah. Right. We're going to these spaces that are life giving for yeah. us. Yeah. Um, and we will commune with one another and yeah. talk about our healing journeys together. Mm-hmm. Right. We will break bread. We will fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, we will exchange some money because you don't have to cash out somebody because they pay for something. Right. Like, we've done everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, Right. So we are creating these these little ecosystems yeah. where we're mimicking or creating new religious spaces. I mean, yeah. that's what Kanye's doing, essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For good or for bad. He's yeah. creating a system and a community yeah. for people that want to fellowship yeah. uh, with him. Now, I can, you know, the traditional religious spaces mm-hmm. and theologians, many of them are pushing against that because it's like, well, who is the theolo- theological presence to kind of keep it grounded? There you go. Um, and so I can get that, but yeah. I also love the beauty of these organic spaces that we're creating yeah. as millennials and saying, you know, we don't necessarily, you know, I can go to church on Sunday, but I'm actually going to brunch afterwards. There you um, go. And mm-hmm. I got to talk to people that's dealing, they got student loan debt, <laughs> um, that's trying to buy a house, that's like dealing with all of the things that I'm dealing with uh, and try not to get killed, right? right? Yeah. And and so like we're dealing with these things, and some of our religious spaces aren't talking about these mm-hmm. things, yeah. and so we got to find other spaces that's that have true. those yeah, conversations. And you're doing it as a, or we're doing it as a collective, mm-hmm. whereas before it seemed like. Uh, I think I heard someone say this before that, you know, we were waiting on one person to lead. So mm. this guy is leading the the whole revolution. The revolution. And, uh, you know, that gives a target on that person's back and that person can be taken out, which we saw that many times. So it's now it's like, OK, we're one person's not going to lead us to this uh, this journey that we're trying to lead us on this journey that we're trying to go to. We're going to do it as a collective. It's like you said, we mm-hmm. you've been speaking. We, we, we are we millennials or we millennials do this. We do that. We do this together. So it has to take that collective in my eyes Absolutely. To, to get there. You know? Absolutely. And we saw that decentralization by the sisters that started Black Lives Matter. There you right. Go. So this was the first push mm-hmm. of a movement mm-hmm. um, in our contemporary time yeah. of three black queer women mm-hmm. saying that we're going to start this movement yeah. to talk about these issues that are plaguing black people. Exactly. And we're about to decentralize this one patriarchal figure that's going to be at the forefront. And there we're going to share leadership with the community. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that 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 pushed some ruffled some feathers. And right, yeah. and we saw that in how the old guard would mesh yeah. with the new guard, and we saw all of that. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely, we are um, we're we're decentralizing, we're becoming community, and we're trying to find ways. Uh, I think we all trying to get free. Yeah. Um, and I think that black millennials, in more specific, we are concerned about all of us getting free. Yeah. Um, and whatever that journey looks like. Uh, sometimes I don't think we give enough grace for people to get to their freedom. Yeah. Um, but I think we all want to get free. Speak to that not giving enough grace. Man, I think it's this throwaway culture, this cancer yeah. culture, cancel culture that we live mm-hmm. in that's driven by social media, mm-hmm. right? So um, you make a mistake or you say something that was not thought through. 
um, and you're canceled, right? Yeah. So we, your career could be destroyed, your your name, all of those things, and people don't want to deal with you anymore. And sometimes I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, you know, they should have known better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to extend grace, mm-hmm. um, and that could be the the Baptist minister in me. Yeah, that I try to extend grace to people, um, yeah. and grace for us to get it right, grace for us to wrestle with. Uh, grace for us to to step into grace mm-hmm. for me to to say sister I'm sorry I you know I'm still wrestling with my own patriarchy mm-hmm. so like walk with me through this mm-hmm. um, and not um, be to the point where I become a recluse because I'm scared to say something wrong I'm scared mm-hmm. to offend I'm scared to do this so I just walk away from it all and that's not helping any of us yeah um, and so I, I'm 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 seeing in many ways a graceless culture, mm-hmm. um, and what's unfortunate for me is that Black people are embracing this. Yeah. Um, when we've had to live in spaces of grace, mm-hmm. um, with one another, with this world, mm-hmm. um, that we are starting to take that grace from from one another. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes giving that grace to other people that don't outside of our community that don't even deserve it. But that's a whole nother conversation. So can you speak to that as it relates to Sir Kanye West? Because I don't know if you saw the news, but he popped up at Howard's homecoming and led his Sunday service. And I think the reviews were kind of mixed. You have this one aisle of black people um, that are like, oh, that's what's up. Like he came back, given to the community. And then on the other side of the aisle, you have black folk that are like, yeah, but Kanye also continues to show his ass and, you know, continues to misrepresent the black community, um, so on and so forth. So where do you think this grace or this lack of grace shows up with this Kanye West situation. Mm. <sighs> Kanye. Um, so first, I'll say because I have not experienced in person the 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 services. I've only watched them, so um, my comments are just from video. Yeah. Um, you know. For me personally, I don't have a problem with his services. Me either. Uh, I think he just, he having a gospel concert. Yeah. That's what I look at it as. <laughs> um, he's having a gospel concert and he might slip a word in there. Now, you know, when it comes to the word, that's when I have a little problem. Um, <laughs> because it for me, it's lacking the theological mm-hmm. nuancing mm-hmm. and grounding that's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, all intents and purposes, he's having a, a gathering, a gospel gathering. Um I think where people are getting tense and I too can find myself and, and I have to, again, figure out, am I wrestling with tradition there we or go. am I wrestling with um, theological, deep theological issues? Mm. And I'm still trying to figure that out for myself mm-hmm. when I see him doing it in religious spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I saw him do it on the yard at Howard, I'm like, oh, he's doing a concert. He's doing a gospel concert. Okay, great. For the I'm with it. It's an HBCU. I support you, brother. Mm-hmm. Leave them some money. Um, <laughs> he did. But when I saw it in a religious space, I began to think of how sometimes our black religious spaces are pimped mm. um, for political gain um, and how they're used as spaces um, to um, essentially... Um, those are spaces that we come back to when we've done something yes. and we need grace extended to bring us back into the community. Yes. Um, and so I don't know, and I can't judge his, his authenticity around this yeah. and being in those spaces, but I am leery 
um, of um, the message in which he's preaching. The music is beautiful. Um, the 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 choir is on point. Like I, I I'm like this is this is a revival, right? This is a, a spiritual revival for some people. And if it's drawing some young people to learn more about faith, I am all with it because I realize again as millennials and Black millennials are finding new spaces. This is a space that Kanye's created that millennials and Gen Zers are being attracted to. And so if this is causing them to have more questions about faith mm-hmm. and about reconnecting with faith, because mm-hmm. we also have to sit with that this Gen Z is going to be one of our first generations raised unchurched, mm. not without faith. Um, and so we have to sit with many of them have not been exposed to so many things. So you hear some of these young people say, especially at Howard, oh, this is my first time going to church or this was mm. my first time having this experience. And so my thing is, I hope it is drawing them to learn more or take this journey or whatever faith uh, they choose to embrace down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I see the beauty in it, but I also can see how our space is scary. Can get scary. It can get we can scary. extend some grace mm-hmm. um, in a way that, you know, Y'all are therapists, and I'm sure you have diagnosed from afar. No. Um, And so, no, I know you can't do that. You can't do that. um, There are some some other things our brother is dealing with that have nothing to do with us. There we go. That has everything to do with his own personal journey. He should be. Here's the thing that I wrestle with, and I think your good cuz brought this up when we talked about Kanye one night, is that that same level of grace is never extended to the black woman. Uh. My feeling is that because the, the black church has been very much patriarchal, yes, when there have been women in the forefront in our churches for decades who were fighting for a chance to be behind the pulpit and recognized and titled, it took, once again, some of our churches are not still there, number one, but two, I think by the time that some of them have progressed to this level of welcoming us to these different elevated spaces that means behind the pulpit mm-hmm. and we don't have to sit beside or you know right there on the front row, mm-hmm. is that we wasn't given that level of grace based off of our ability to be just as much called as mm-hmm. they was. Yeah. And so when I see them welcome many women leaders in the church to provide certain sermons. It's only once again for certain types of subject matters. We're still once again siloed into certain types of boxes. And then as you move into, you know, media or entertainment spaces, it's also we're sometimes sensationalized again, putting into certain types of boxes. So when we look at some women ministers, I don't necessarily see a plus size, you know, woman minister who's being sensationalized and put in certain things. And so I think we are once again creating the static status quo or once again of what we can do, but what that looks like, too. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, within the media is that many women who have fallen from grace. Um, particularly like Juanita Bonham. And we talked about about, um, um, your girl who's an R&B singer, Chrisette Michelle. Chrisette Michelle. Tina Campbell. Yes. I mean, some has been extradited. Chris said is not welcome back into the black community right now. Mm -hmm. And then when I look at Juanita um, Bonham, 
just recently based off the other social media storm of her being invited to a church and she didn't show up and blah 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 she was like literally like vilified based mm. off of a standard that any person would say that this is my requirement to come and step into your church and it was blasted and she was you know vilified for sitting there saying that she got to have this amount of money in these many hotel rooms and nobody would ever question T.D. Jakes right. if he were requested the same amount of things right. so that's my issue is that we are not extending that amount of grace and I know Anthony did disagree um, when we were talking about mm-hmm. it, but it still, once again, that patriarchal look is very much reminiscent in different types mm-hmm. of areas um, of discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just didn't think, I just didn't, when, when I disagree, I just didn't think that Kanye, and I still don't think he cares. I don't think that he cares. I mean, like, this man dropped Jesus Walks over 10 years ago. And he was, he even said in his song that it may not get airplay. So when he's coming back and doing this now and just like, oh, well, he's trying to get back into the black community, but he hasn't changed his stance on anything. He has, he's still, he never, he's not apologizing. His, his interview on David Letterman's, um, on Netflix, I don't know if you, you guys watched that, mm-hmm. but he talked about his bipolar disorder and about how he feels like he's being bullied and this and that. It was a great interview. And I think that we really don't look deeply into that. And I also think that he stands his ground on what he's wanting to do. So if we accept him back, I don't think he's looking for our acceptance back into the community is what I'm saying. Because if he did, it seems like he would have changed up his stance on some things. But he's just being who he is. He's rocking out with people every Sunday. And I love the energy. I love it. You know, I just... I think Kanye is very ego driven and I think that the crowds, the people coming out feeds his ego, let him show up to an arena and no one shows up in support of, we will see Kanye on a rant. Well, I'm saying what else could he be doing with his platform though? So I can say that we get, when we start saying things like that, we get back into what we were talking about at the beginning about how we were judged or the millennials are judged about how we do things unconventionally because at this point of, okay, well, he's doing this. He's doing this not the right way. He's not doing this the right way. All we're doing is judging them just like we're saying that we didn't want our people to do. We're doing the same exact thing. But I think sometimes we use critique as a way of getting out of things. Um, and that could be that's an issue of millennials. Um, sometimes we don't like being critiqued because mm. we think it's hating mm-hmm. um, when someone is just calling you to really think through and critically articulate mm-hmm. why you do what you do and why you say what you say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, for me, and again, I don't know the brother's motives. I don't know him personally. Um, I think he does care. I, I don't think mm-hmm. he's that... Um, Ten years ago, Kanye may not have cared. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is very much so wrapped up in um, what this looks like and the performance of what this looks mm-hmm. like. Um, and we see that as he keeps seeking out these different religious spaces mm-hmm. to validate the work that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I you don't think, think he's seeking it out. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I don't I don't. He again, the black church, for better or for worse, has always been a space um, where people could come back and be reaffirmed in who they are, especially black men. I wouldn't be surprised um, if the black church is reaching out to him. I, I mean, it it could be both, right? I don't think I'm not. Yeah. I don't think some people are far off from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the spaces that he's been in um, have. Um, Many of them are spaces that when a gospel artist or someone drops an album, they go there anyway. So mm-hmm. it's not unconventional for them to have artists in those spaces. Mm-hmm. So I, when, I, when I look at the churches he's been to, I don't that that is their space. So every artist that drops a, an album goes to their space. So that's mm-hmm. that's not unheard of, mm-hmm. especially gospel artists. Um, but, I, you know, I. 
I do. I'm, I, I support you, sister. Like, a black man can be a phoenix in black religious spaces. Mm-hmm. He can fall seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve times and rebuild himself mm-hmm. um, and be put back on, if not a higher platform, mm-hmm. one right below the one he was already at. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and this is not my area of work. There's some sisters out there doing some great work. Tamara Lomax, Dr. Tamara Lomax, uh, Candace Bimbo. There's some amazing black women out there doing that work around um, how black women are viewed and portrayed in these spaces uh, and how they experience these spaces and what's put on these put on them in these spaces. But absolutely, when a black woman... A, a black woman in a black Christian space today cannot get get away with half of the things um, that black men that we're able to get away with in those spaces because those spaces have always been life affirming for mm-hmm. us. Um, those spaces have been points of trauma, but we've turned them into life um, life giving spaces because we didn't have anything else. Right? You couldn't go be CEO of Target, so you became CEO of the church. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in a but in the a, challenge with that is. For some, where those spaces have been a point of trauma, instead of them doing their healing work, they then go in and re-traumatize the masses. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 in the black church, it is bleeding on other people, right? Yeah. We were all cut and bleeding on other people, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if we use the idea that it's a hospital, all blood just just circling all throughout the space, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, uh, and again, I'm I'm not. I'm, I want to clarify or, or make that stance that it's not all black brothers doing that. There are some brothers out there running amazing ministries that are affirming of women and doing the work, their own personal work, but mm-hmm. also taking the church through the work to mm-hmm. t- try to deconstruct some of those patriarchal systems mm-hmm. that have hindered them. So whether that's ordaining uh, women to be deacons, whether mm-hmm. that uh, versus being a deaconess, or whether that's uh, licensing or ordaining black women to be preachers, mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of brothers that are doing that work and I want to commend them and sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we also have to sit with it that black women um, have been vilified, Mm. um, crucified for some of the things that we've been able to get away with in our churches. And we've seen that play out in the media Mm -hmm. over the past 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can um, sexually assault, you can cheat, you can um, take the, take the place for a muck, bankrupt the place um, and still keep followers mm-hmm. and so that that's that in a way that if it was any other corporation you're in jail or yeah. you know you've lost all credibility but not in the Gracefield black black church right yeah. so we will welcome you back brother and we will we will help you get back to where you were and that's not the same grace that's extended to yeah. black women I mean so, but it makes sense because the narrative at least the more traditional narrative is that a man is supposed to lead mm-hmm. you know yeah. and you hear Men who will claim that with no qualifications, no grace, no sharing it, no making sure they're taking care of other people, just doing it basically as a power grab. And then on top of that, historically, you know, black men have been persecuted in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I mean, just I don't have the data, but we don't show up to church as much as women. Mm -hmm. And so we're benefiting from that scarcity. So it's like you're supposed to leave. Mm -hmm. You're not here. Let us make you super comfortable. And let us keep forgiving you so that way you won't leave us. And then we kind of either have to find somebody to take your place or we're basically being accused of running off another man. Mm -hmm. And I think those are some of the undertones Mm -hmm. that don't really get articulated, but are just kind of socially just thrown in there. Oh, absolutely. This is y'all work. 
and dealing with the trauma um, of that. Uh, I used to say when I worked in a church, I am not a therapist. Mm-hmm. I can't counsel you through some of this. I can give you spiritual guidance, but mm-hmm. I cannot count that. That's trauma, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's generational trauma and mm-hmm. continuing to you know continuing to re-traumatize yourself. So I would. And gratefully, I have a, a cousin who does. I am a great referrer um, <laughs> because that that's some that's real work, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that I believe Black millennial women are naming, um, and even those who may not have the language fully, they're questioning, yeah. um, and they're they're beginning to say, "Now wait a minute, that ain't right. Now it's something ain't yeah. right. That, what you doing? Now what did you say? You said I couldn't do what? Mm-hmm. Right? So you saying?" I got to sit down if I get pregnant, but he can keep going and doing what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. That ain't right. Right. Mm-hmm. So there, these mm-hmm. questions that these questions that our grandmothers had anyway. So they would leave church and talk about it at their table. Mm-hmm. Black millennial women are standing up in the space and saying, no, I'm not going to sit down if he ain't sitting. So we both yeah. gonna sit down or yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go find me another space that will love me for who I yes. am mm-hmm. uh, and not qualify this as some type of mistake or yes. sin or anything of that nature. Yes. Um, and so I think that's happening. Um, and I, I just, I am ready for the movement. I'm yeah. ready for what, because uh, the black church is going to change. Mm-hmm. It has to. Mm-hmm. It, in its current iteration, it will not survive. Right. Um, and I'm excited about what will come out of this, mm-hmm. this, this, this pruning, um, and a pruning that we hadn't seen in our lifetime. And the, you know, and so I, I'm nervous because that means we will lose some. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. also excited because I think we're going to re. Uh, millennials and I'm excited about Gen Z that are going to really reimagine mm-hmm. what this institution uh, is going to look like for future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's going to be coming every Sunday, sitting in a congregation or uh, going to Saturday mass or going to temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just not going to look like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's scary for even some older millennials. Cause mm-hmm. that's all we've known. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely scary for baby boomers and mm-hmm. that silent Gen X generation that, you know, nobody's really talking. They're talking, but sometimes people aren't listening. I mean, but thinking about that as far as the reimagining of church, speaking specifically in the Judeo-Christian uh, kind of tradition, I grew up Southern Baptist, very traditional the whole nine. But when I was in New York, I attended Hillsong. Here I've been attending more of the elevations and things like that. And it took me kind of a culture shift to, you know, go to these kind of new agey types of churches. Mm -hmm. But at least, and I'm not well-versed in kind of churches across the U.S., but I see those are being helmed and more kind of rooted in white culture, even though it tries to be as inclusive as possible. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering just your thoughts on, is that a possible direction that it can go specifically for black people? Is that something that you can see going on for just minorities in general? And how does that kind of factor into the landscape? Because I will say when I went, it did feel... I guess you could say more lateral than other places do with just kind of a traditional order and everything. But depending on who was up there, at least the head pastors a lot of time were still, at least from my view, theologically sound. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the very important things because you get people who can do prosperity stuff, who will give you cliff notes and act like it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what can limit it or especially get older generations kind of frowning upon it. Mm-hmm. Look, the data is showing that, um, Black folks and some black millennials are also starting to leave traditionally black denominations and go into predominantly white spaces. And so these hill songs, these elevations, um, these CC, these CCM uh, 
Christian contemporary spaces. Um, and I think we have to parse that and nuance that um, and what that looks like, too. Because um, that, um, and I'm not as versed, a uh, brother named Ryan Cobb. Um, Dr. Ryan Cobb is an amazing person that's really doing a lot of research around that. Um, but looking at millennials uh, and, and black bodies going into these predominantly white spaces that are are not always embracing of their culture is mm-hmm. fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that for us, and and in a way that it, it's not a critique against for me, um, but it's it causes me to question. Um, so in a space where the world is constantly beating us, or we're being mm-hmm. told that our, we can't go home, we can't walk down the street, we can't be playing video games, we can't be doing sitting in our cars mm-hmm. and our lives be valued, that you would give up of your spiritual self mm-hmm. to a space um, Thank you. Thank that you. doesn't affirm you. It doesn't affirm your cultural being. Yeah, I, just, I don't get it. It's fascinating to me. Um, and and oh. so for me personally, just speaking for me, it won't work. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I need... There's a cultural thing that yes. I go to the black church for. Yes. Right? Yes. Outside of... It could... The current space we, we attend is amazing theologically and progressive, and I we love it. Um, but for me, it's sometimes it's not even about the word; it's just about the culture, yes. yeah. right? The culture. It's about going to see the elders and the black men and black women in the space, and the yeah. old deacons and yes. the trustees, and watching the ushers walk. Like I, I like that stuff. I like yes. the pageantry of it mm-hmm. because it's cultural. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I go in those spaces, for me, it's not life giving. It, it it speaks and reeks of white culture um, mm. and in a way that I'm supposed to almost divorce my culture yeah. to embrace the dominant culture, right? God. So that's the problem sometimes with multiculturalism, well right? Said. That that we, when we, we push multiculturalism well in our educational spaces and our corporate and all those other things, it's it's often white dominant culture that everyone needs to assimilate into um, to be the one to really fit in uh, and you have to do it the white way. Um, And And here's my challenge with this, Teddy, (laughs) is that black people will run and sit under the teaching of a white pastor. Crickets for white people running to sit under the teaching of a black pastor. That's my whole point. That's my, my sister-in-law took me to elevation and listen, you know, I think a lot of things are going on there, you know, a great church, but I just can't get the vibes up there. No matter how urban you dress, no matter how many black people you can get into that church, I feel still feel like I'm in a white space. And there's no way the word can be the word, but I just not I'm not getting like you described that that soulful like feeling when I leave out of there. So my week doesn't start off the same because I didn't get what I needed, what I came there for. And um my, that's my fear with how I guess the millennials and how this is going to look in the future, because when you mentioned the old deacons and the old elders in the church, that's still wisdom and guidance that we need. And I think I'm speaking for myself, even millennials and generation after us. I think that we aren't taking too kind to guidance and mentorship that needs to take place. Somebody doesn't, we don't need to be led by someone, uh, you know, but we still need to get mentored. We still need some guidance, or, or else we just out here running wild. How we how will we know our history if nobody is there leading us? So, like my grandfather, 
he passed at 102 mm. and he was a deacon in the church and you know i'm from traditional church as well but you know my grandfather believed in uh, uh a, a woman preaching in the church and he believed those things it wasn't not like his his peers you know but we still receive so much guidance and wisdom on how to do things and how it should look not in a sexist way but how what's that guidance that's coming down from it and i think that sometimes uh, my fear is that we'll just be out here running wild and not knowing having any guidance so trying to hit both um you know for me sitting brother elevation can preach when i yeah he's good Mm -hmm. good. now he can preach um and so i i I give him all the credit on that um and i've never experienced the service in person so um i try not to speak on things i can't I haven't mm-hmm. physically experienced, but just in general, we're, we're seeing this trend. For me, I can't be in no space that refuses to talk about black and brown bodies being killed in saying. the streets. I refuse to be in any space that doesn't affirm that black lives matter. Like I, mm-hmm. I refuse to be in any space that don't that doesn't talk about uh, the racist rhetoric that we're seeing in this country today. Mm-hmm. Like I, for me, I cannot subject my spirit right because that's about my well-being. Mm-hmm. I can't subject my spirit to something that is not going to feed not only the spiritual aspect mm-hmm. for, for me but also the cultural piece of me. Mm-hmm. Right? So I can't mm-hmm. go in a space where I can't come in angry that Sister Jefferson was killed in her home playing video games with her nephews, right? So if you're not talking about that, right? Cuz that's a real reality. We could be sitting in this office right now recording this podcast and the police can come in and say what are y'all doing in here? It's closed. Yeah. And shoot us. Right. And if you're not willing to talk about those issues, for me, that's a non-starter. I can't be led right? by you. I, I can't. I can't. Regardless of your race, because mm-hmm. there are black churches that are not yeah. doing this. Yeah, right. True. And so we have to talk about that, too. Right. Because many of our spaces have been co-opted by capitalism. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have to talk about right. what that has done to us. Right. That we the black church was a prophetic space. Yeah. Um, the, the black Muslim community, Nation of Islam is a prophetic space, right? So we have to own that we have always come from a tradition of uh, prophet and prophetess that have been speaking truth to power in our community. And so if you can't do that in that space for me, it just doesn't work, right? Because that I bring that with me in worship, right? Mm. Dylan Roof came into a church as they were having Bible study and killed them, right? Mm. They were in worship. They invited him in. They invite and the black Mm. church has always been an inviting Mm -hmm. space, right? We we always and so for me it's like the decision to go to an HBCU, right? I couldn't be in a space where I wasn't gonna be loved and affirmed because the world gonna always tell me that I'm not anything, right? But I can't go to church on Sunday, like the space where I'm supposed to go and I have faced hell all week. Mm-hmm. Um, I have faced prejudice all week. I faced racism. I faced sexism and patriot. All of these things that are trying to kill me, as Lucille Clifton said, come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me, but it's mm-hmm. failed. Right? All these things that are trying to kill me Monday through Saturday. And then you tell me on Sunday that I can't come get rejuvenated and be in community with folks that look like me. And if they don't look like me, that are concerned about the issues that I face as a black man. It don't work. That's what I'm saying, man. And so, like, crazy. I, but again, each his own. But I think we really have to sit with, mm-hmm. and I'm interested to see what others are doing around this research. 
what does it look like for black people to go into these spaces um, and to be in these churches um, where they're not the majority? Right. The music is not culturally what they're accustomed right. to. Um, the message is not, you know, we know Shadrach, Meshach and a bad Negro, right? Like, <laughs> like those things that happen in black Christian churches or those things that happen in the mosque that, that brothers and sisters know, right? It yeah. is a part of our culture. Yeah. Um, they're not there, yeah. right? And so how do you wrestle with, and I think, again, a lot of that is just this movement right now yeah. with the music and this, it's, it, it's different looking, it's different mm-hmm. feeling, it's hip, it's urban. Mm-hmm. Um, I also see some co-oping of black culture. Oh, definitely. Come on. Um, definitely. And so we have to wrestle with what that means Come too, um, mm-hmm. because they'll take our songs, they'll take our dress, they'll take everything. Oh, okay. Everybody want to be black yeah. until something goes Until right. Obama won. We were attending a white church, mm. one of the only black families in that church. You were? We were. We were living in Florida. And um, everybody had embraced us and loved on us. And I will never forget sitting in Bible study the Wednesday after Obama won his first term and the pastor from the pulpit ripping him to shreds. Wow. And as the only blacks in that church at that time literally melting in our seats, Mm. like feeling the heat, feeling that wrestle inside, like, should we get up? What should we do? People might not have been looking at us, but we definitely felt like all all eyes were on us. I will never forget that moment. And that is when I was like, never again will we be the only blacks sitting up in a white church because they love us until it's really time to love us. This is this so. Is crazy. I can speak to my experience of um, born and raised Amy Zion, and I remember being in college and being in the church and going through my first experience of church hurt. And I remember that because of you know what my grandma said, I still had to go to church, and I asked around on where to go, and I found myself at a non-denominational church. And I remember as I was visiting different churches and really settled on this non-denominational church, I can speak for me in that period of time, in that season, what that pastor gave me was teaching. Mm -hmm. He was the first pastor after I had lost that pastor who brought me back into church when I was out there in college my first year while and out. After I lost him, um, because of course the Amazon church moved him because they get to pick and choose, I found in this pastor, Zabowski, a passion to actually want to pick up my Bible mm. and read it for myself. Now I didn't get the music and I'm born and raised Christian stomping hymn singing, mm-hmm. been on a you no know, song on the choir first Sunday through fifth Sunday. Mm-hmm. I still had to sometimes go in, in my car, get my praise and worship before and after, or sometimes I would go to my old church um, or a visiting church just to hear the choir piece mm. because it, my grandmother taught me it was something about the hymns. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was something about singing just, oh, the blood mm-hmm. that once again, that gives me strength mm-hmm. that it meant something. And I couldn't get that from this white church, but this, but this, he wasn't white. He was actually of another race. He, I think he was mixed. Um, he taught me how to read the word. And be okay, because somewhere along the line between birth and when I got into college, reading the word intimidated me. 
Yeah. And I, I not been able to interpret it and really yeah. understand it. I felt defeated. Somehow I felt the word and can interpret it and feel it in my spirit and feel God in me in song, but not in word. Mm -hmm. So he was the first person that actually taught me that. So I'm grateful that there was a space for me during that season in which it was some person who didn't look like me, Mm. who was able to provide me with that skill. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess uh, I was just going to say in the same vein. uh, So when I have gone to Hillsong or Elevation, uh, specifically the head pastors, when they preach, uh, Carl Lentz at uh, Hillsong in New York, phenomenal preacher, uh, at least in my opinion. I don't know if Mm -hmm. I'll agree, but it's like that's what sustains me. But I realized when I was in those places or have attended, I don't quite join the small groups. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't quite show up because that isn't quite there. I'm thinking back to med school when I was there. Uh, I was in a small group with uh, other med students. So, you know, it's not that many black folks around. Mm -hmm. And it was great and it was affirming to be able to speak about the word in that regard. But on Sunday, I would go to the church that my grandparents went to. Uh, And I don't know if you've heard of Charles Goodman. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, he also phenomenal preacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's the thing. I've realized for me, at the core, it has to be good teaching. And community, I can kind of build as I need to. Mm. But I guess my thing is a lot of times it's kind of why should I have to compromise? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I think that's where the issue comes from. And I'm just feeling like that's a little bit behind the shift that's going on with black millennials of, you know, why should I have to compromise? But also kind of building the plane as you're flying it and not really having that space just as of yet. Yeah. 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 But I think we're also (coughs) finding that we don't necessarily need the church to meet all of our needs. Of course. Mm-hmm. Right? Of course. right. Um, so the black church uh, and black re- black church speaking kind of broadly was, again, all things for black people. Mm-hmm. It was our social clubs. That's where you went to your dance for a lot of people, your youth group. Like these were things. They exposed you to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and millennials are able to compartmentalize in a way that, we just haven't seen with other generations, I believe. So we're saying, okay, so I come to this space. I don't necessarily need this for a social club. Like I got my fraternity, I got my sorority, I got my brunch group, I got my girls, I got my boys. <laughs> like I don't need it for that. Mm-hmm. I just come here for the word, to get with the good music, and I'm going on by my business. And I don't want to be in here too long either. So apart, <laughs> like, so we, we are able to do that and take the pieces that we need. Um, That's a good way to look and, and a lot of, I mean, new research, not from Pew, but research is coming out that millennials are not saying that they're looking for music, which is what people thought we were looking for. Mm-hmm. We're actually looking for a message. Um, we want a message there because we need it to be relevant to our current reality of what we're facing. Um, We just don't want a long message. We don't have the attention span for it. Right. Um, But we, we want that message. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Sister uh, Dr. Brianna Parker is doing a lot of amazing work around black millennials and looking at those different things, especially in the Christian tradition of what we're looking for um, in those spaces and helping churches um, to really reach black millennials um, and doing consultations and things of that nature. She's doing an amazing job. Uh, she's out of Texas. Um, I also think of this sister named Erica uh, Galt, who's at University of Arizona, who's uh, a researcher. So really looking at black millennials and uh, religion and and what that what that means for us, what needs is meeting mm-hmm. and, and different things of that nature. But we're we're compartmentalizing. Yeah. And we're saying, look, That's I can take this little piece from okay, you got small group, I can go small group. I ain't gotta go on Sunday because it don't meet my need. Right. Yeah. Right. So I can go yeah. to small group here, I go to the AME Zion church down the street because that's the music I'm accustomed to. Yeah. 
And I might stream my favorite pastor because he don't live actually in my area. So, yeah. like, I've literally compiled everything that I needed um, and created this experience for me um, because this one space just doesn't meet all the needs. Yeah. As we saw, previous generations would sit through what didn't serve them. Facts. Right? Or, Facts. oh, I'm going to come late. You know, he, I don't like the music. So, Facts. preacher get up around 12, pastor get up around 12.30, so I'll make it there by 12.15, 12.20. Right? As we're saying, so I'm just not coming. So like, right, right. I'll just stream your message because that's the, the yes. best part. And I'm going to go to this church because they have good music. And they did that not just in church settings where they sat in spaces that no longer served them, but they did it at work. Mm -hmm. They did it at home. And millennials are like. Nobby. Wrap that yeah. up. I'm, I'm <laughs> nah, quitting this tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so since today will be my last day. <laughs> Commitment. Yeah. Right. Commitment. But I was going to say that we as therapists, we often teach about building um, a toolkit or a resource kit or whatever, just a baggage where we can pull from um, different tools based off of the situation that we're going through. Because we often say to our clients that if you keep pulling the screwdriver, but you may need a wrench, you're going to keep getting these results that you're not you know, looking for. So being able to build our spiritual kit is actually making us more empowered and more mm -hmm. informed and also I think it gives us the intuitiveness to sit there and say well what does this relationship mean like with my higher power as I'm building my toolkit to be successful yeah yeah, yeah. you know what I was having I, I hate to get back on this elevation thing or, <laughs> oh, um, God, bro. but nah because it's really I'm really passionate about it we were having a, um, a heated debate with a few friends who um we went to another black church, it was a big black church here in Charlotte. And, um, you know, they were hesitant about giving their tithes and their offerings to this church. We went to Elevation, they were so quick just to say, here, here you go, here you go, here you go. And there's so much trauma behind that about how you're so willing to give uh, things so easily without question to um, maybe a white face and not, and not your own people. Um, and it just bothers me. And I was in, I remember being in the last year of my DOT program and, um, I think, was it last year? I don't know. But uh, Trump had just got uh, elected. Um, and, you know, we were having this discussion about it because we were in that space at A&T to be able to do that. And um, I know when I, you know, raised my hand, we was talking about it. Everybody was so shocked. And I was like, why are you guys shocked? You know, just like your former pastor that did that, Kevon, I'm not shocked when white people do things like that. I expect it. And that was something that I had to uh, work through as well. And I, ra and I raised my hand and said, you know, I, just, I don't trust white people. Mm. And um, I, I had to been in a position where I had to trust them before, you know what I mean? So, you know, after that, a white guy came up to me and said, you know, Anthony, I know you don't trust those people, man, but, you know, I'm not like them. I'm like, what? Are you listening to anything I'm saying? Like, you're not validating how I'm telling you. I'm telling you I do not trust white people. So when I see my people at these churches in these spaces then i feel like you like you said i think i feel like we are detaching or saying that we have to divorce the who we are to assimilate at this point to say you know what for me and there's a lot of black churches that you like that i even know of that say to be in the graces of a powerhouse like elevation let me kind of filter these issues that are clearly going on on the outside so i could be in the good graces and not ruffle any feathers or any people that I have potentially doing partnerships with are coming to my church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I hate it. I think one, I, again, I go back to grace. I do mm -hmm. give grace because I, I believe some people are in those spaces because of the trauma they, they experience in the black mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. 
uh, some of those spaces because of the trauma that they experienced in the black church. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those spaces were the spaces, the people that actually reached out to them um, and did the work of uh, of evangelizing and meeting them where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those folks didn't feel safe or comfortable in the black church. And so mm-hmm. I, I think we have to own that too because um, our spaces, while they are prophetic, they can be judgmental and harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I know that that's some people's stories, um, and so I want to give space for them and their truth. Um, but, you know, it's the tithe and offering thing is a big thing for millennials. Um, Speak on that, Rev. We, we didn't have that conversation. <laughs> Lord Jesus. Oh. We are, um, one, just the data, we're not giving to churches. Uh-huh. Black millennials are not tithing in the way that our previous generation. Some of us may tithe, um, but majority of us are not giving, and that's just pure economics. Um, we are racked with student loan debt. We are racked with other responsibilities that um, giving up 10% of my income to this space when my student loan debt my student loan payment is six, seven, a thousand dollars a month. Mm. I can't afford to give you, right? Yeah. That's just fiscally irresponsible. Yeah. Um, and so we have to, in that same vein, while millennials aren't giving the churches, we're still very uh, charitable. Right. Yes. We give the charitable causes. Um, we will give to, you know, one-offs. We give the crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Crowdsource funding, mm-hmm. GoFundMe's. We'll give to those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll give if a child needs some sne- sneakers, right? Mm-hmm. We we see the child. We know they're raising money. We'll give them you something. Gotta see it. Um, but to give blindly um, yeah. to institutions, um, and not all. Again, there's some amazing churches out there doing some amazing work. Yeah. But the yeah. dominant narrative to give to spaces who have mismanaged funds. Yeah. Spaces who have exploited black women. Yeah. Poor black women. Mm-hmm. Um, and controlled their finances to mm-hmm. give to spaces where you see the pastor driving a car that you could never afford in two lifetimes. Yeah. Um, or aircraft. Or aircraft. Um, <laughs> so I, I think millennials are saying, wait a minute. Yeah. Right. Something's not right here. Um, and, and you have those that are still giving that are saying, you know, I give because this is what the text commands. Um, but they're asking more questions, mm-hmm. um, and they're 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 bringing out. Um, they want to they want to see a financial sheet. They, mm-hmm. they want to know. Okay, so how much we paying him? What's his salary? How mm-hmm. much is that? Okay, now what? Sure. Um, but I also think um, we are reinterpreting what the tithe looks like. Mm. Um, we are saying, okay, so if I'm commanded to give 10% and what we're finding a lot during not only the God Talk conversations, but we're producing a documentary with Pew around black millennials and faith. So we spent a lot of time just interviewing one-on-one black millennials. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding is they're saying, you know, I'll give my 10%, but I'm not going to give it to that one church. Yeah. Um, there you go. They might get 2%. Yeah, they might get one. They might get five. Just depends on the month or the week or how I'm feeling that week. Yeah. Yeah. But then I'm gonna give the other half to my school. Uh, I'm gonna give the other half to you know my fraternity does a or my sorority does a, a charitable thing and I mm-hmm. like giving to that. Yeah. Or I got this kid I'm sponsoring in college, so I see them care packages. And so we're reimagining what the tenth yeah. looks like, mm-hmm. especially in in Christian spaces. Um, while some have just walked away from it completely and said, I'm just not doing that. Yeah. Um, some are really, again, supporting work um, 
inside and outside of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we have to sit with, the church has to sit with, um, that we created this monster. Mm. Um, I, we created this monster, and now we're trying to reconcile it because we got to be really clear. Tithing takes care of the church. Right. Tithing pays for the ministries of the church. We don't have a bread basket or a soup kitchen without right. tithes. Uh, tithe and offering. Like we don't, we can't do ministry without mm-hmm. that. Right. Um, but because of what we did with the generation and what millennials grew up seeing. Yes. And again, it's not all pastors. There are some yeah. really pa- great pastors with integrity. Right. Um, but the dominant narrative of what millennials saw growing up um, with people embezzling and going to jail and, and all <laughs> these things, we're like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got some explaining to do. Or if yeah. I give. At least show. Absolutely yeah, show or like, oh, okay, so y'all doing a, uh, y'all going to replenish the, the soup kitchen for somebody. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'll bring some boxes of cereal. Yeah, and that's, that's <laughs> right? interesting because you know, you, and you know it's a business. And um, I think a lot of bigger churches are, and I'll talk to some people who are moving into, okay, now, you know, it's a business. Let me go find some grants to get money in versus tithes and everything. But I guess when I walk into these big churches here in Charlotte, I'm like, okay, man, I see that. You know, I hate to judge and say that, you know, man, they're doing all right. But I know I faithfully send my tithes down to my home church because I know they need it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that this big church absolutely doesn't, you know, they don't need it at all. But I'm just saying that I know that they really need my money down here. So I'm sending money back. You know, I might cash up my mom. Hey, mom, can you mm-hmm. turn this in for yeah. me? Um, no, and give, like you said, less um, to a church here. So, mm-hmm. you know, just interesting. But I also wanted to hit your point where you talked about black people giving, more willing to give to white people. Yeah. And I think we have to interrogate that, too, um, mm-hmm. that we are some of the most suspicious people when it comes to our people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll let somebody else come in and ask for something we will freely oftentimes oh, okay well it's right right so we see that trickling down in yeah. our lack of support of black businesses yeah yes um our lack of support of black entrepreneurs yes um right um we wrestle with this notion right and this mm-hmm. is rooted in white supremacy yes that this notion that uh white is right mm-hmm. there um, we go and so um we have to sit and interrogate that right so mm-hmm. you all are therapists mm-hmm. right that somebody may say you know i don't want to go to no black therapist they not i'd rather go to somebody white because they know what they're mm-hmm. talking about or they're not as mm. right, so you're constantly fighting those things. Exactly. Uh, even you have the same degree, you have the same competencies. You're you're smarter. You, you mechanics, you, you, all of that, but you you're still white. fighting that notion. Yeah. So yeah. that that's that's white supremacy has done a number on For black people, sure. mm-hmm. um, and so we're constantly trying to deconstruct that, yes. and it shows up in a myriad of different ways mm-hmm. in our religious spaces, in our communal spaces, in our familiar spaces, and so. For me, I have to even catch myself sometimes, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. really being intentional about um, when my wife and I got married that we supported black businesses yes. and black vendors. Mm-hmm. When, and if we could get a black person, we got a Latino person or a person of color. Somebody that we knew was dealing with the same issues of trying to fight inferiority and mm-hmm. saying that they are not good enough. So exactly. we tried to support those businesses. Um, so anything that we do, we try to... I intentionally sit back, and just for my own, I believe mm-hmm. all black folks need to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, mm-hmm. my my thing was, I, you know, I got to go to a black therapist because I can't tell white people my problems. Mm-hmm. Like, I just need <laughs> someone that's going to understand the cultural piece mm-hmm. of me, mm-hmm. right? And for me to talk about being a black man that grew up in a single-parent household, 
um, not to bring all the world in with that, but to mm-hmm. say, okay, that's that's the reality of a lot of black families. Okay, so how are we going to walk through that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, for me, mm-hmm. that takes deprogramming. Uh, that mm-hmm. takes doing serious mm-hmm. work on somebody's couch, in some books, um, in some groups, uh, brunch groups, and all that other stuff to really deprogram yourself mm-hmm. um, from believing that, you know, we do something in the black church mm-hmm. and everybody's talking about it and they walking away. Yeah. Um, the white church do it. You no, know, they were wrong, but you're still there. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we can be harder on our own people. Yeah. Um, and, and, and not again, extend grace internally sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, that's, well, and supremacy's messed us That's up. Crazy. I was about to say <laughs> that is a survival technique that was appropriate in slavery t- days, right? Like, ooh, I'm not affiliating with that individual because I don't want master to get me. And it has trickled down from generation to generation. And it's one of those ways that we continue to do things without stopping and asking ourselves, why are we doing it oh, like absolutely. this? Absolutely, self-preservation. Yeah, um, we are keen on that. Yes, and, and I'm like. Mm. But how do we, again, grace, how do we yeah. live into that grace? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we, you know, like, so what the sister might have, you know, did did something or so what the yeah. sister may not have this. I'm a trier. Yeah, um, you go. know, if it yeah. don't work out, it don't work out. Yeah. Um, but but we would be quick to give a try to someone else just yeah. because. Yeah, sure. And I'm like. Mm-mm, let me try them until proven otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I'm going to give you a try. Now, if it don't work out, I may not go there back. Go. Mm-hmm. But I got to find somebody else. Right, um, right, right. But yeah. Teddy, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners as it relates to spirituality or anything else that's on your mind? You flow with Man, it. Man, I would just say create, like, black millennials continue to push our theological push our religious institutions to be better. Um, because for me, I, I don't want to see the death of these institutions. Yeah. Um, because culturally, they've meant so much, mm-hmm. right? The, the black religious spaces in many of our communities because of gentrification, that's the only thing we still own. Facts. Mm-hmm. So if that thing dies, we have nothing in these communities that we mm-hmm. tilled and we loved and we prayed over that we can no longer afford to live in. And so I, I, I can't uh, imagine living in a world where black religious spaces didn't exist yeah. Um, yeah. because they have been and continue to be hush harbors yeah. mm-hmm. um, for black bodies and mm-hmm. for not just black bodies, for brown bodies, for Asian bodies. They, we have harbored and loved on folks mm-hmm. uh, who didn't love us mm-hmm. um, and invited them into our spaces. So I don't want us to see them go but I wouldn't. I don't want millennials to stay in spaces that they're not affirmed and they're not loved, mm-hmm. um, and that they're harmed and they're traumatized. Um, and so, I sit in that tension. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think we continue to push them, uh, continue to speak truth to power, mm-hmm. continue to create sources, and this tool belt, as you talked about, uh, Sheree, and, and this toolkit that works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that meets your spiritual needs, mm-hmm. that um, that grounds you, uh, and being okay to being able to articulate that, yeah, um, and stand firm in that. That's some work. That, yeah. that takes work. It doesn't happen every, overnight. Um, but to keep asking questions, to keep exploring, um, because we need it. 
right? Mm-hmm. We we got to be prepared go. um, to answer these questions, not only that we have, but that this next generation has. Yeah. Um, and we got to create these spaces if we want them to survive culturally for what they are and what they have been. Um, we got to create these spaces to be more affirming and loving uh, of all of us. Awesome. I have thoroughly yes. enjoyed having you Thank on. You for and having I me. hope that you good. come back. Oh, I will. Like, this has been fun. I feel like there was so much that we didn't get to get into for because of time, because I had so many other questions. Yeah. Um, so you have to come back, Teddy. Oh, absolutely. Yay. I would love to. This is fun. Thank you, sir. Thank you all. Good Appreciate people. you so much. So I'm Dr. Phil Murray. I have the pleasure of bringing you this week's moment of reflection. And going through today's talk, presentation, conversation, what really stuck out to me were concepts of grace and accountability. I think a lot of times we can look at institutions, places, areas, people, places, things that have not really served us and want to kind of throw them away completely, to walk away completely. But there are opportunities to hold them accountable to eventually serve the needs and things that we need. But while you're doing that process, you need to extend a certain area of grace. Only extend what you're capable, but at least give the institution the patience to change, the opportunity to change, the same opportunity that you would give yourself to change. If it works, great. If not, you always have the opportunity to go start over again, but still take those principles of grace and accountability.